Hello, welcome to another episode of Pod Save Africa. I'm your host, Akandi Adiridi, and on with me today, I have a great guest. His name is Emmanuel Clue. Emmanuel, how about you tell our guests a little about, bit about yourself? Um, so, yeah, my name's Emmanuel. I, I grew up in Ghana. All right. Um, ended up in the U.S. for college. Went to the same school as Akin here, and... It's been about four years out in the world and had some time to reflect on what role you know, need to play out there. So. Okay. All right. So um, let me start with my first question. This is kind of the, my favorite question to ask our guests. Um, I make, make, assuming that at some point you want to go into the world, especially into the African continent and uh, work on improving lives, what do you think your role is going to be in that? I think I'd like to be, um, spend half of my time in policy. Policy, okay. Um, because you do need a good, you need government to actually implement a good system for people to thrive. At the same time, while that takes a long time, you do need some short-term work as well. So I think I would do, spend half of my time in policy and the other half of my time um, implementing actual projects to help with economic development. Okay, so speaking on economic development, one of my weird segues again, today we're gonna to be talking about poverty, right? Um, and so so let's, let's talk about poverty. Let's start with data about poverty. Do you think that, um, I'm not gonna ask you about specific data on poverty, but do you think that our all of our perceptions of poverty are accurate or helpful? Um, I think they are accurate. Um, the raw data is accurate. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think the way it plays out it might be a little different um, because different cultures have different systems of living and like you may not be you may be poor in a country but you may actually have an okay life okay um, just because how communities organize and stuff so i think the raw data um is telling but it, it is true people are way below poverty line and usually we just look at the raw data and try to solve the problems with what the data is telling us, but then sometimes there are a lot of nuances in how society works in other parts of the world. So the solutions might be a little different. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think the facts are there, they're accurate, but our perceptions don't have the right context. Okay, so now more specific to uh, poverty and interpretation of data, what would you say is your definition of poverty. I know that the UN has all these, you know, definitions, abject poverty and on the Afghan continent versus poverty, poverty versus poverty lines in the US. What would you say, you know, if you were to look at poverty as a problem, what would you say it is? First of all, because I assume, you know, identifying the problem is a good first step. Yeah. I think I wouldn't go I wouldn't do this on an individual level because I think this is more of a collective definition. Like, what do I think when I say a city is poor or a country is poor? Okay. Um, 
because I, I think it's a how society functions and you can't really take one person and say this person is poor mm-hmm. if everyone else is poor that's more of a problem right right so I think I would look at it from say a country or an economy okay. if if, a, if the economy is not providing good enough opportunities for working people like people mm-hmm. who are of age to work to actually make enough money to survive if there is a if there is a an unbalanced dependency on the previous generation okay the country is you know there's a trajectory that the country is going and i care more about the end state more than the state it's in now okay and i would say a country is poor when the young people there don't have enough opportunity so actually be independent financially I see so that being said if you were to so you know let's let's start here Africans have been generally poor for a long time quote unquote you know yeah. you see the ads <laughs> in the news every day there's this and that we've generally been do you think that the you know 12 children lined up with flies and for 65 cents a day you could change somebody's life do you think those children are not somewhat reflective of the story involved in dealing with poverty or do you think that you know more of your approach in figuring out how you know those kids can you know take over from their parents or run independent businesses is a different challenge to have uh, whereas some people are just thinking of the immediate let's get these kids food um you do need both. <laughs> okay. Uh, like I, 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 I try to look at the long term view as short term. Okay. Um, like, yeah, people are hungry. You need to feed them. Um, it's better than not feeding them, right? right? But then there's also, there's absolute, I think there are absolute good things. So, but there are things that are better. They may not be the best, but they're better than what they have. So, comparatively, there are a lot of things that you could do that would improve the situation. Um, so yes, you do need to feed these kids, but then long term, you don't want to create a situation where you're going to be feeding them forever. Okay. Right. All right. So That's fair. If the system is set up in a way that there is a dependence huh. on these welfare benefits or aid, programs, right? Then it's just going to be a vicious cycle. All right, so now that actually segues very well into my next question. So for years, like I was saying, a a lot of uh, organizations have built operations entirely around taking resources to the African continent. Now, the way that has typically operated is that they, you know, go for basic necessities. Let's get these kids clothes. Let's get these kids food. Let's get these kids, you know, temporary shelter, those kind of things. Do you think that as you start to mention those things contribute to some sort of dependency. Do those things, you know, erase the need for local economies if you're getting this kind of stuff for free? And then my second part with that question is that how how would you rather approach approach it if you had the resources? Um. So I don't think the problem is that. Well, all of the problem is that aid is there's a lot of aid going to Africa. I okay. think that's that's actually fine. The problem is that that has been going on for a very long time. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like a... um, and I feel that the way either people given the aid or 
people actually implementing programs that use that aid have created that dependency. Um, and so, so for example, I can sit here and I can, I can donate say a thousand dollars to some organization. Okay. Um, what I'm doing is not bad. All right. Um, I am still detached from the situation. Fair enough. Um, but it's, it's easy for me to just give. It's not bad. It's not the best thing, right. but it's better than, it's not, better doing than not doing anything. Right. Um, but when you do that, if you're just giving some, say, organization money, um, traditionally nonprofits are not the best as, at managing finances. <laughs> or, finances um, right. I mean, honestly, yes, nonprofits are, operate on the idea that they're always going to get money. So, for, yeah. um, so that has contributed to the problem. Okay. And then the nonprofits have. I think the nonprofits don't necessarily create a sustainable model okay. of operating, and so that creates a dependence on aid that's coming in. Okay. Um, and because the nonprofit is not operating at a sustainable level, that also means the programs they're doing are not going to be sustainable for the people. I see. And then it just all passes through. So right. money comes, they go feed people. Right. That's it. Money is always going to come. Right, those people are never okay. But if you look at it from the way I would, the way I would solve that problem is, you do need some capital, you do need some aid to start. But I think that you need to create a self-sustaining ecosystem um, for nonprofits. So I think nonprofits would. would be better off investing in people. Okay. Um, so, at the same time, let's say, um, at the same time as you provide the basic necessities, right? You provide investment as well, right? For them to actually do work, right? Because everyone has to do. Everyone has to do you know, work. Everyone needs to work. Okay. And so you provide basic needs. You invest in them; mm-hmm. they make money. Maybe they don't have to pay it back. But the idea of sustenance is that they don't need to come back for more. Right. Um, and so, so you want? I want to. I want to see this as an investment. Not well. There is aid for basic things. Okay. But once you get them to the level where they're actually comfortable right. or surviving, you need to then invest in them. Right. Because otherwise, then you need to go get, do aid again. So, so my question to that is that isn't there some sign type of danger? Because in effect, to some degree, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're saying that we should look at individuals or communities or collectives as okay, as businesses, quote unquote, to be invested in, and then uh, rather than just giving them money for free, give them money and say, you know, this these are the things you should do with that, or these are. The, the expectations we have for you and, you know, this money is not coming back your way. But isn't the bias, isn't there automatically going to be a business-based bias that would come from that where you start to be selective about who you give that money? So rather than having aid and food and all those kind of things go to everybody, you're saying, who is the best person to oh, give no. this? I think there's, um, so I, I, what I was, what I was saying was that you, you provide the basic necessities. Right? Okay, so everybody gets. Food. Everyone gets right food. Everyone gets water. Okay, um, 
But then in addition to that, you want to invest in people so that they break that cycle that eventually some of them will stop needing food. Some of them will stop needing water because they can provide for themselves. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. Then aid goes down. Right. Right. Once a community has people who are uh, being productive and actually generating income and stuff, economics should tell you that they will be able to create jobs, mm-hmm. right, for the people in that community. Right. Um, everyone can work. Um, so you don't have to, you don't want to have, like, everyone be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. So you invest in people and some of them will actually become entrepreneurs and they will be able to collectively pull in the whole community. Okay. Um, sounds very idealistic, but I think that's possible. Yeah. I mean, um, a supportive argument for that might be uh, Nigeria's U Win Pro Project. Um, I was listening to an economist talk about it, and he was he was actually making the argument that that might be the most successful public fund investment, and it was effectively that giving people money to work on business ideas. Um, these were unnecessary, like poverty level people. They, they still had to come up with business plans and all of that, but you know. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking about this the other time. Um, um, with like microcredit and stuff like that, yes. where they go do microloans, um, train people and stuff. Right. The p- economics is very complex. Yes. There are always <laughs> like a lot of nuances and a lot of corner cases. Right. And being able to look at the big picture in addition to the small picture, mm-hmm. micro versus macro. Um, one thing that I was, I was thinking about the other time was if you set up like I was saying, if you make everyone an entrepreneur, right. overall, it's not actually that good for the economy. Right. Because... You'd much rather... Because then these people are all competing. I see. For... They're making... Well, let's say you train a group of people to make, say, textiles, for example. Okay. If there isn't a central... If they're not employed by one person, mm-hmm. they're all competing. I see. Right, they're all competing to sell the same things. Um, if there isn't, like, say, one point that just, let's say, buys everything that they, they need some they consistent need some, source right. of income. Okay, right? okay. That's what I'm saying. If everyone is at risk, if everyone is taking the same risks right. as entrepreneurs, that may not actually be good. Right. Um, right. Okay. So, so for a nonprofit, sometimes you invest in these people. But you don't just leave them to go. You want to create some sort of consistent source of income. So either you know you get like one company that employs all these people, or you, you know, buy whatever they're producing, right. and then you channel it out to you know, whatever sales you need to make. Okay. Um, but yeah, having a bunch of entrepreneurs in the community that is trying to grow may not always be the best thing because the total risk is too much. Yeah, so everybody's carrying too much yeah. risk. Mm-hmm. Um, now, moving from, you know, now we're both from countries where relative to kind of the, the ideal, the general depiction of African countries or the general poverty centers are far better off. You know, you're from Ghana, I'm from Nigeria. Um, despite there being significant struggles in a lot of areas in our countries, we're not like some other countries that struggle a lot more with those issues in, in many more areas. Um, now, do you think that, you know, there are 
because there are certain conditions that made those people be in poverty situations, for example, war, like, you know, the Sudanese countries, like, you know, extreme famine, things mm-hmm. like that. How do you then deal with, you know, breaking a cycle of poverty where when certain countries are just, you know, have historically through civil war or by just weather conditions uh, more, you know, more likely to have poverty and, and, uh, and suffering of that nature? So the stark reality of this is if you look at war-torn countries there is going to be aid going there forever. Right. Because when I mean, there's war, governments are not actually investing their people. Right. And then, you know, foreign entities have to... You can't tell somebody fighting for their life to, right. to go start a business. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's the reality that in some cases there will be aid going there forever. Okay. But I think that if you look at like Africa as a continent. Mm -hmm. The same way I was looking at a community, I didn't want to look at individuals. Right. But when you do invest in the community, some individuals will come up and will pull everyone up. Because someone makes money, they buy goods. The person they buy goods from makes money. So money circulates in the country. So if I look at Africa, there are some countries that are, will be better for investment okay. um, versus aid. Like some countries need more aid, some countries need actual investment. Um, I think as a continent, if we cared a lot about each other, which most of the time we don't, <laughs> we don't right. um, then you could treat it as a big community and the countries being individuals, like some countries would do very well economically and then they can invest in the growth of the region. Right. Um, Aid is not, the problem of aid is not only that aid is coming in, is where the aid is coming from. Um, Please especially. So, if African countries were helping each other, right. what would be the perception? It'd be, there's no, there's no idea of African poverty. There would be, you know, Countries. some people are struggling, right. so they're helping each other out. Yeah. Right. Which is okay. Which is a better perception. It's better, right? right? <laughs> um, but the problem we have is aid is all coming from colonial powers. Right. And people who, well, countries or systems that have had some sort of upper hand or superiority, um, which makes aid a complex issue then right. because then you wonder, um, is this like another form of colonialism? Huh. Um, which, yeah, you could argue, yes. (laughs) Um, but then again, it's economics. Countries want power. Countries want, leverage. So they, they want to, everyone wants to, I don't know, protect their citizens on the best deal for their country. Um, which means if you have, if you don't have as much leverage, you always lose. And that I feel like that has been the state of Africa for a long time. Um, How do we break that other higher level cycle of? Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> I apologize. Um, I think I think if 
first of all, Africa as a continent, like the African Union, which is probably the only organization that covers all of Africa, yeah. needs to do a better job at just making it feel more as like one region. Okay. Um, like, even when you look at, you look at pockets in Africa, like West Africa and then you kind of get some similarities, but even so, you still, like, I don't know, like, how do I feel about people from Cote d'Ivoire? I don't know. (laughs) They're my neighbors, but it's almost like... There's no understanding of them, or they might as well not exist. Basically, and I think the the continent needs to do better, getting together, um, and helping each other, because I feel like whatever level of economic state you're in you there are there's always going to be like people in a better state than others and you can always help each other right you you don't have to be super rich right the little you have you can share right so i think if the the continents are getting together and helping each other these days we're seeing a lot of um i've seen a lot of companies like span started in like one country and expand in like other african countries right i think it's good okay things are really good um people going to school in other African countries. Right, right. Um, that kind of exchange, like hopefully having visa free travel. Like, things like that I yeah. think would help mm-hmm. because I mean it's it's crazy how it's easier for you to travel to Europe than it is yeah, to go another African country. Go to South Africa. No shots at my South African y'all's visas is hard as hell to get, um, Jesus. But tourism right. if you look at some countries in Europe, tourism is like the main source of income for them. And you could probably mark other percentage of Africans that go to those countries and you know, look at that as a revenue pocket for African countries this yeah. year. Amongst yeah. each other. And I know at VA you have been looking at one passport for all of Africa. I mean, yeah, that's great, <laughs> but just open up the borders. I mean, right. <laughs> you really I, need to have one passport. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think it's something that should be. Yeah, at most, you know, I think Kenya has a situation where you go there and you buy your visa as you arrive. You know, there's, I don't mind that and people, government still being able to use visas mm-hmm. as a revenue stream, but, you know, some more access, I think, would be helpful yeah, to everybody. Yeah. Right, um, yeah, I think there, there are things that the continent can do to kind of help each other. And I think from an aid perspective, aid should still, I mean, we still need aid. Right. But do you think that should then be directed to organizations like the African Union who perhaps have a more vested interest in African unity than to something like the UN, which might not have that quite that orientation? Well, I can't, I can't really assess that at that, like as an organization giving money, but as an individual, right. if I was giving my money. Okay. Um, I would see it as you kind of need both because there's some there's some influence that the UN has that the AU doesn't. Fair enough. Because the UN is more global and the AU is more continental. Okay. Um, so you do need to weigh um, who would who would who has a better shot at actually making change. Okay. Um, there is like them being capable and okay. them <laughs> so that's one thing. That's one thing. Is them being possible? capable. Right. And then 
than having the interest to. Yes, that um, is fair. Maybe the UN has a better interest to change the continent, but they may not be capable because okay. it's a global. Maybe the AU should be capable because they're the local, like <laughs> right. the local organization. Right. But do they have an interest to? I don't know. Right. Um, Fair enough. Do you? So now let's let's zoom down a little bit and look more on the individual level. Um, we often find that you know perceptions of poverty and suffering and lack of resources very significantly even within countries especially when it comes to class that's you know the age-old argument when the when the when the poor run out of things to eat they'll start eating the rich um so i i think one of the hitting lessons there is that they have it those two people have a totally different perception of how different things are and you know people like us you know despite the variances in the economic situations with which we used to come here being able to afford the thousand dollar ticket to even fly to the united states puts you probably solidly in the top 10% of people in whatever country you're from. Um, and oftentimes we find that people get upset by kind of the worst case scenario of poverty. They say, oh, you know, oh, these people don't have jobs. These people don't have that. And we were upset about that because we feel like that doesn't necessarily reflect all of our situations. But, you know, statistically that oftentimes reflects at least a large amount of our situations. Do you think that there's a big gap between people like us or people like us or even better that have access to certain resources, have had a different perspective on life, have had some more exposure than, and people who are actually on ground suffering? And then what is our incentive to invest in those people? You know, I'm sure all of us on our college essays are written about how we'd love to go back to Africa and work on this and work on that. But, you know, why, what is the reason we should really care? Um, so we want, we want the world, first of all, you want the world to be in a good state where, you know, everyone gets along, everyone is doing okay. Right. Um, and a lot of times when we get exposed to, like for someone like me who moved here, um, because in my experience back home from in Ghana, I may see some other countries as having, you know, more of a need. Okay. Because I may not have seen the people that have the need. The people that have right. need in my country. Right. Um, so there's some. I mean, everyone is in need, and they're all equal. Right. You can go and mess wherever you want. Yeah, you can't um, <laughs> do a first <laughs> Olympics who suffer more. Yeah. But um, I think that we we do have we do have a different perspective. I think it it is always better for you to evaluate a situation when you're out of it. Okay. Um, yes, you may lose some some of the emotional drivers that come with you being in the aid situation All right but i think you're more logical and strategic strategic okay when you're outside of it um people who are inside of it you you may never agree with people who are inside of it right right because they feel it on a day-to-day the, the yeah. risks are much greater for them right and they 
to them you may not understand what they're going through, even though you might have been through it too. Right? Okay. Um, also, the way you get out of, let's say if you have ever been poor, the way you get out of it usually defines how you, how much you care or how you relate to people who are still in it. Right. And so... Do you mind explaining that a little bit? So let's say you're poor and you get an opportunity to like, you get like a full scholarship to study at some school. Okay. Or you're smart and then, you know, the school pays for everything, you move to the U.S. or even if it's in the same country, you do your Excel, you're smart and then you end up going to like a good uh, company and you start making money. Right. Well, you could have the perspective that, well, there's opportunity for everyone. Right. Like, why didn't um, they get the scholarship like yeah. I did? Yeah. You could say, well, you know, just work hard and then everything will work out. But right. then what you fail to realize then is not everyone gets the opportunity mm-hmm. to begin with. Um, if everyone got the same opportunity, yeah, of course, then you can say, well, you didn't take advantage of it. Okay. But it doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> Some people don't even get the opportunity. So for someone like that, the way they get out might make them have that perception. Okay. For other people, they may work hard and slowly build their wealth. Okay. Um, and then there may be points during that journey where they will realize some things were purely out of luck or you know something, someone being generous to them. Some people like that if you feel like you earned where you're at, like right. you earned your way to where you're at versus... You were fortunate. You're fortunate to be where you're at. Right. I think that changes how you relate okay. to people in those situations. Yeah. Um, I think I'm fortunate most of the time. Right. <laughs> um, sometimes I feel I earned. Like, it right. depends on what. Um, and it's okay to be balanced too, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, being sympathetic to people who haven't been had the same fortune yeah. issues. So I think we have a different perspective. I think I think it's always a partnership between people who are in this situation, people who have been in it and are out of it, and people who've never been in it. Okay. Um to because you need those different perspectives to be very objective about the situation. That's fair. All right, that's very profound. So all of us going back, make sure you find somebody who's on ground dealing with the real real, somebody who's made it out of the real real, and yourself. Someone who's never been in there. That's how to start your uh, company or your organization. I I think that's true. Like, you find it's really hard to like run a business from remotely. Oh yeah, remotely, right? You need someone on the ground. It's also great to have some diversity, or you partner with people. Who are not as biased emotionally or right. in some other way to the problem they're solving. Okay. Um, so now my my final combo of questions. Um, I almost always ask this, to, regardless of the issue um, we're talking about, because it's almost always relevant. And the first one is moving forward and just kind of observing what you're seeing in the trends of people moving back on poverty generally and aid and all the things we've talked about. What is the major concern you have as far as things that might not work out for us? Um, one trend I've seen is trying to replicate this whole tech 
scene mm. back in Africa. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm very concerned because a lot of the tech things, like startups and stuff we have here, are trying to solve inconveniences and you know, trying mm. to make things more convenient. Right. I mean, there are some things that are very functional and make a lot of sense. Okay. Um, there are some things that we have a different set of problems in this country. Right. We've gotten to a point where we have first world problems. Right. Um, trying to do that in Africa then only works for the people who have those first world problems. Right. And that's always such um, a small... It's always a small percentage. Right. I feel that sometimes I wonder, would we be better off investing in the things that have been proven to help grow the continent, like agriculture, you know, like people actually generating goods and exporting and things like that who create jobs for people right. um, versus investing in a startup that's going to make it easy for it to order something online. Right. We even have the payment system for that. <laughs> the people have the have money into it, right? Right. Um, those are all great. I mean, nothing is bad. It's just sometimes, are we prioritizing? Huh. That's what I wonder. What are okay. we prioritizing as the problems to solve? Okay. Um, the solutions we're building now may make a lot of sense 10 years from now when we have better infrastructure and stuff. Okay. But should we build it now or should we spend our time now solving some other problems because we can solve these anyway when um, right. I think we're trying to we try to take solutions that we built here um, take them back home and then we realize that there's so many gaps right. and we're missing foundations mm. and then you may say well let's work your way back and solve the more foundational problems but those are usually not sexy to solve. <laughs> it's not fun. You those know are not fun, yeah. Right. Those are not, may not make you money. Right. Those maybe require, like if you look at um, this country, the government invests a lot in the internet, for example, like how right. is the internet built? Yeah. You know, um, just our tech infrastructure, if, if you have a government that understands that, then the burden may shift. Some of the burden may shift for people who are like going back. It's like now you need to, like you're you're trying to privatize, let's say, payment systems. Right. But you can't. Like you need Just to work with the government. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. The government needs to care as well. Okay. So my concern. That's one of the things that the trends I've seen is we're trying to like solve. We're trying to solve conveniences, um, solve problems that are near inconveniences in so, this country right. while we have some more pressing more pressing issues um, ah. okay so my second question and, and, and we, we could you know probably converse on that later inconveniences versus necessities how to get people invest in your ideas if they don't seem sexy to solve um, but you know the second question is what are you optimistic about what excites you about the future what makes you happy or proud um I went back home two years ago, and there's this. I, I found out that the government pays graduates like 350 Ghana cities a month, right? Which is like less than a dollar. Okay. 
No, less than a hundred dollars. Less than a hundred dollars. <laughs> I was like, I know you. The CDs were doing that badly. It's like, yeah, the dollar is like almost four dollars for four CDs. Four CDs. Okay. So they, the government pays three hundred fifty CDs like every month for this national service period. Okay. Um, and people, people are expected to live off of that. Uh, like you know, 350 CDs per month. To give you an idea, rent is like at least like 500. 500 CDs. Yes. So you're earning less than enough to pay just for rent. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm like, how do you guys survive? Um, and the answers that I got to that made me very optimistic. Okay. Um, that people haven't given up. People are still know trying to make things work in the country people are still being innovative um people are like some of my friends are doing side gigs or they call on the side you know hustling to try to make some money to survive um i've seen hubs for innovation where they have spaces where people can go and solve problems at working space um people still have people still believe that the problem's going to be solved. And I've also been very impressed with the talent that's still there. I see. Um, because you can't beat raw talent, right? <laughs> there is still raw talent. There are still people who are extremely smart. Um, okay. And I think we just need to harness that yeah. um, so, to solve these problems. So that makes me very optimistic that people are still pushing. People, people haven't still, given up. If only to survive, people are innovating themselves out of poverty. Right. Effectively. And you can only do so much when you don't have the opportunities there. Right. Um, if the system doesn't let you do something, you really can't. Right. But people are still working with what they have and are surviving. All right. Um, okay. If I look at them, I would think, well, you're in Vernon 50 cities a month. You're poor. Right. Right, that is not sustainable. The only reason you're able to do that is, well, maybe you have some family member you're staying with. Right. Um, you don't have to pay for food or like rent. Um, but effectively, that was the statement I made initially. You have a young generation that is still very, very dependent on um, the older generation. Right. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't seem to be a way for them to break out. I see. Well, Emmanuel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I think our listeners will as well. Um, to all my listeners, feel free to contact me on PodSaveAfrica at gmail.com if you have thoughts, ideas, or if you want to be on the podcast yourself. And uh, Emmanuel, how about you say bye-bye for our, to our guest one time? What do I say? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> you just say, say goodbye. Bye. <laughs> you yeah, just, I'm, I'm great. Say, this is Emmanuel <laughs> Clue and upside it out. <laughs> so, that is okay. Yeah. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs>